find you my missing puzzle piece I'm complete I was just And today we will be talking about Shooting Star. And returning with me are some really awesome guests who I think will have a lot of really interesting things to say about it. So you guys want to introduce yourselves. (laughs) This is Kay. I'm Black John Leonard on Tumblr and Killer Queen 80 on the archive. And I love this episode, so this is going to be a good one. Uh, I'm Bethany. I'm Invisible Raven, pretty much anywhere you care to look for me. And I just finished rewatching it and I started to ball. I'm like, oh God, I forgot how much I like this episode. <laughs> and also hate, hate parts of it. So it'll be very interesting to talk about. I'm Carly, also known as Caro Jane on um, both Tumblr and um, I have a couple of fics on AO3. Um, and yeah, I also... in enjoy this episode for I mean I I think it was a good episode that they do despite I know a lot of people don't like it but you know it's it any episode about this topic is you're gonna have a lot of people that just don't like it so I think right off the bat I just want to say I think this is one of the most controversial episodes and not because like it was really taboo or anything I just think that it was one of those episodes that kind of split, not just fandom but general audience and and whatnot, um, on whether as to whether kind of surprising. I I still to this day don't understand why it made some people so angry. Like as far as Glee's like very special quote unquote episodes, I think this one might have been the least heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a lot of accusations of PSA going on when this came out, and I didn't feel it was that way. And I think this is a it's a, a show that's set in a high school and in American high schools. Unfortunately, this is happening. Like, um, and it would have uh, been more shocking if they didn't do it. I mean, Degrassi did the episode, and Drake became 
paralyzed. Uh, right. When, when I was when Jimmy high school, got shot, yeah. Yeah, so, like, a lot of, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a subject that, like, a lot of high school tackle, like, Unfortunately. Um, Bethany, did you want to weigh in on that? Um, I remember when it came out, I know there were uh, a lot of people being very vocal about the actual shooting and who was doing it. And I know we'll talk about it when yeah. we get for, into the episode. I I remember that quite vividly. A lot of people were like... Of course, you have to make the girl who with Down syndrome be the shooter and everything. Um, yeah, it, I could see where, unfortunately, some people would like. Uh, and like, I know I'll probably have things to say about it as regards of why did Peggy have access to her father's gun? But I'm in a weird position because I'm not American. So... I, I don't understand your country's obsession with guns anyway. <laughs> I was born and raised here, and I don't either. Yeah, no, wow. I, I... And the one thing I wanted to say, just as a general concept that they decided, I understand in a... This is a topic that the country is having a conversation about, and Glee really liked to latch on to doing that. And Ryan Murphy had just done the same kind of thing in American Horror Story um, to a much more effective degree, but, I, I mean, in, in a horrifying terrorism type of way. And... Um, but I do understand why Glee did it. I don't think that they... It was a bad choice to try and do that. Do I agree with some of the stuff that they did? No. And again, we'll get into that when we talk about the episode. But I don't think it was a bad or wrong choice that they decided to make this episode. I can see very much why they put it on the table. So, so the, here's the thing. And I was thinking about this earlier because of a post I saw on Tumblr where they talked to people about, like, what was the first news story that like you remember from your childhood and some and the first person they talked to had mentioned Columbine. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say I think my relationship to gun violence might be a little different because of where I grew up. Um, where where I lived as a kid, like gang violence was more prevalent. So the idea of someone having a gun at a school wasn't like this when Columbine happened. That wasn't like a new thing. Mm -hmm. But the math, like typically when that happens, it's not because they're going on a rampage, it's because it's one person versus another, and sometimes other people get caught, but I'd also been, like, at a swap, shopping at a swap meet, waiting in the car, and there was a drive-by, and I remember, like, the car shaking with the force of it, and so, for me, it wasn't, like, this huge shocking thing when it happened, and what, it was just, like, the volume of it, it was just kind of a thing, like, oh, okay, so now it's happening in white schools, but yeah, you know what? Bring, you know what I mean? Yes, so I do, I and a, I just wanted I think to. I have a different relationship to it, but I understand why Glee did it because it's one of those things that, like, you can't ignore that it's becoming more and more of a big deal. Mm -hmm. Because I well, wasn't even in high school anymore when Columbine happened. I had, see, and I, I, was, I was, I was sixteen when Columbine happened, and that was. I, I agree that like what you said about that's shocking when like. The white America is finally waking up to that these things are happening, which is unfortunate that we weren't having, you know, discussions about, you know, it, it, it's, 
unfortunately this wasn't brought up earlier but like um but it felt it feels like columbine was something that happened back in 99 and then it's gradually gotten worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and exactly. the fact that we are not having conversation the fact that there was you know uh you know sandy hook happened and that didn't change anything so when yeah. it's kindergartners and first graders and nothing changed you know that there's a problem and you know and columbine happened two days before my 19th birthday and oklahoma city happened like two days before my 15th birthday like what is it with my birthday but anyway (laughs) it makes me wonder about will because i know that matthew morrison is like a year older than me Mm -hmm. but i think that will is supposed to be significantly older he is than matt is Mm -hmm. so i kind of wonder like you know if he he would have, if they wrote him to be the actual age of Matthew Morrison, then he would have been, like, 20, about 20 when it happened. But I think he was more, like, older, like, maybe in college or something, whereas the characters were babies. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, I was just kind of thinking, like, I wonder how they relate to that that had happened, you know, mm-hmm. based on, like, the age of the characters, like, how they experienced that thing that kind of started the whole thing. I think I'm going to have to put an advisory on this podcast already. Um, so. <laughs> I mean, I think every, I think it's kind of hard to avoid the topic and mm-hmm. when talking about yeah. this episode. I was um, from a, a high school that's very much like McKinley, which is like a not suburban but not rural, I guess rural kind of area, um, uh, mostly white and um a couple of years after I graduated, one of my high school classmates, younger brother, um, came into our, our my old high school and with a uh, shotgun and killed himself in the bathroom. So, wow. yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. So, I mean, we hear about, like, Columbine and Sandy Hook and, like, all the big ones the, that, like like, shut down the whole school and everything, but, like, this was a, like, one that maybe made the news for, like, 15 minutes, the national news for, like, 15 minutes, and that, like, for so many of them. One like, of those things that they, like, they mention it, but they're, like, we're not going to get too much attention off of it, so it's almost like they forget it, it's just kind of the yeah, yeah. passing, yeah. And it's, it's, like, this thing does happen in our country, like, why not, like, show, like, I, I feel like we're going to talk about it later, but, like, I feel we did a really good job showing, like, just the fear of it, like, the way this was shot. Exactly. And, yeah. Um, I, I guess I have a, a unique perspective in this, oh, sure. because, like, like I said, I, I'm not American, but um, I remember, like, I have a degree as a teacher so I've been in schools where we had to have drills what happens if a shooter comes into our school even though I live in you know Canada and I live in one of the smallest parts of Canada that was still a real fear and having to go through a drill with a bunch of 10 year olds like this is what happens if somebody comes into the school with a gun here is what we have to do and having to talk about that with a bunch of 
10-year-olds. Like, you know, this is honestly a real fear that we had to impart to these kids that this is something that could seriously happen to them in their school, even though, again, I, I live in nowhere. Well, and, and I think that also, to, to jump off your point, Bethany, I think it also says that what happens in America doesn't just affect Americans. I think yeah. that countries, world, the world is so connected that, and especially, I mean, Canada's our next door neighbors. And, you know, if you, you know, if my next door neighbors are throwing a, you know, having a fight and whatever, and they're, you know, screwing around, I could possibly get hurt too. Because just, you know, it's the fact that, you know, we, we so often say, well, this is America's problem or this isn't, you know, no, no, our problems are also not. world problems to, to get all political. Yeah. So we so, have yeah. to be aware of that. So and, I mean, and, I, yeah. when I was growing up, we used to have, okay, let me preface this. I started kindergarten in 1985 and we used to have these like bomb drills and where we have to go in the hallway and then we bend down against the wall. And then we also had these huge major earthquake drills like where we played out this apocalyptic earthquake and what you would have to do. And when you're like five, six, seven, eight, nine, and you're playing that out, you're like, oh my God, this is like the scariest thing that could possibly happen. So like, and I remember being like, we could have an earthquake and the ground could open and we could fall in while we're playing handball. Like that's really scary. So I can only yeah. imagine being a little kid going through this drill, like, hey, a man could come in, someone could come in here with a gun any day now, and we're, we have to practice, you know, what we're going to do if that happens and how scary that would, would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And All I right, so that's get... more likely than an earthquake that opens up the ground. Yeah. 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 Um, so to get into the episode a little bit, um, I kind of want to first, as I did in my email or my agenda, I want to talk a little bit about the storylines that are kind of around the actual shooting part of it. Um, and the first one was starting off with Brittany. Uh, Brittany thinks that the world is ending again. Um, and I, I guess I'll just kind of let you guys, if, I'll open it up and uh, it just all encompassing that like Brittany, she thinks that the world's ending but it's really not. And then um, since, you, since you guys just watched it, I watched it like last night. There's all the stuff with Lord Tubbington and Sam. And um, so, yeah. Um, I like that Blaine is just like, didn't we already do this? Like, he is just like <laughs> not even here, yeah, here um, for it. Schuster comes into the choir room and is like, hey, everybody, who's, who's afraid of this? And Blaine's just sitting there like, Punched over like Sam's the only one that raises his hand. I think Unique got in like gives a half hand <laughs> raise, but it's just like eh. And Unique asks if God would let her be a girl angel. Uh, Not just yeah. like, oh my gosh. Somebody says something about angel sex because I that was I, I wrote down. <laughs> Some, I wrote down angel sex. <laughs> but I don't remember why. <laughs> Because yes, if there are boy girl angels and girl angels, can there be angel sex? I mean, whatever Um, heaven is to you, Sam. (laughs) What? Um, I do know that part of this, uh, I mean, part of it is the setup. Like, if it is the end of the world, um, then we should really, like, take the time to tell everyone our true feelings and say that we care for them and, um, it's kind of funny because, like, it, you know, that is the, the uh, what is the word I'm, 
nothing. Basically, that is what the the episode is trying to do. Or like uh, with everything that happens, it's okay. You know, these these might be your last moments. What do you say and how do you react? Type thing. So yeah, that, that Brittany's that's definitely the theme. I found yeah, that theme the- carries on the rest of the season and even to the beginning of season five. It's very carpe diem, seize the day, and that's one of the things that really is an impact from this episode. Like, they're going to live life to the fullest because, hey, they were put in a life-threatening-to-them situation, even though, in the end, it turns out they weren't really in danger. And I think think part of the reason... I don't even think it was intentional to carry on past this season, but then we have the real-life event that happened between the end of the season and the beginning of season five. So it's just kind of one of those coincidences that carried on. Mm -hmm. But... It does, yeah, that does play a big part. And I think that a lot of things that happen between now and the quarterback kind of play a role in, like, kind of play a role in, like, certain characters, like, desperation in some of their actions. And, um, but I was going to say a lot of the, all of the songs in this, in the episode are about communication. Mm-hmm. Just in very different ways. Like, your song is about, like, don't keep, you know, we don't have to keep this a secret. And then more than words is about your actions speaking for you, and then obviously say what you mean to say. Yep. That one kind of ties it all up. The whole exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also kind of like going on a quick tangent that the music really wasn't. For a minute, they decided to stop being really that musical show and say, "Okay, like music is at the end and at the beginning, and that's about it. There's nothing." you know, in the middle, because it's not about a musical theater story. This is about a, an actual teen drama. And so the, their change in style is why, um, you know, our musical numbers are only bookending stuff. So well, it's, it's like, exactly, like with the music, it's not even just that the music is the bookend, but like, it's like basically silent for how, how many minutes. It feels like forever when it's going, and like that's what makes it so effective. And, and I like that it starts out with the Britney story because it starts out and it feels like it's going to be like a typical cracky episode of Glee. And I mean, that's just because when these things happen, when tragedies happen, I mean, today's today is September 11, and that mm-hmm. day for me, especially being on the West Coast, started out as any normal day. You know, whenever something huge happens, the day my mom passed away, all those things, these they start out as mm-hmm. normal days. So it was really important that the episode start out like a normal episode so you could really feel the change in tone when the gunshots mm-hmm. go off. Well, and I really like, I actually do like the Britney stuff. Um, I like that it's a bit comical that they're like, oh, okay, she's going to, you know, this, she thinks that the world is ending again. You know, this is ridiculous. Um, Not, um, and Lord Tubbington joined the KKKK. <laughs> the KKK yeah. cats. <laughs> Boy. Um, and, but there's also a, a real story about how Sam feels like, um, <laughs> He feels like, you know, Brittany is putting a cat over him. And and um, so there's that kind of in the background as well. It's also yeah. kind of the decline of the um, the Sam and Brittany arc. that We get the, the end of it with her speech and um, mm-hmm. at the regionals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
yeah, it's it's kind of the decline of like the whole. I don't even know their their ship name. Bram. 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 Yeah. I'm gonna uh, go out on a limb. This is gonna be an unpopular opinion, but out of all of the non-Sam Sadie's relationships that Sam has, I prefer Brittany. I think other than Mercedes, she was the best match for Sam because she wasn't using him like Quinn and Santana did. Um, I liked it. I thought they were sweet. I didn't really see this as a decline because they thought they had some really sweet moments, especially, you know, Sam obviously really cared for her. Mm-hmm. And with Lady Tubbington at the end, um, I think they had some, I think they were a cute relationship. Yeah, I, I really like Bram, too. Um, I mean, it was obviously always, like, a not... Yeah, it was never going to be, like, a huge like, thing. Yeah, it, it's... it's Brittany's recovering from, like, she she fe- still feels lost without Santana and, like, having to do senior year over again. But, like, he, he's a huge comfort to her, and she's a comfort to him, too. And it's, it's really sweet, even though you know yeah. it. It's a similar role that he'll play for Rachel in season six as well. Sam's one of those characters. I mean, similar to the role he played for Blaine. He just makes people feel safe and comforted. Go to Sam Um, for all your rebound needs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I, I just, it's kind of interesting. I think that, you know, even though I didn't see them kind of long term, I, I mean, I could have never said end game with these two. I do think that it was very sweet for for what it was, and that they, I do think they genuinely very much cared for each other. Um, and I always bought their relationship. I know that lots of people were angry because Brittany and Santana were were together, but um, I don't know. I always. I didn't mind. It wasn't like watching other couples on the show where I'm like, oh, why is this on my screen again? Um, so it's kind of as far as mid games go from the from the um, the fall of breakups. Mm-hmm. I think out of all the mid games that happened, you know, resulting from the breakup, this mm-hmm. was the one that felt the most like a real relationship and mm-hmm. not just like even though we knew that it wasn't going to be in game. It felt less like biding time or like using each other, like Rachel was using Brody or, you know, I thought that they really liked each other. Right. And it wasn't one-sided like Kurt and Adam, you mm-hmm. know, or, you know, people vanishing without a trace like Danny. Like, yeah. it felt like a real relationship. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, Danny. Oh, Danny. <laughs> what could have been? Um, what do you guys think? A really of- cute relationship for the, the, like, couple episodes that it was on, though. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I um, wonder what would have happened if Heather hadn't gotten pregnant. Like, if it would have really been, like, a triangle. Or if, it, or if you know, Santana would have gotten with Danny and Brittany would have stayed with Sam. And it would have gone until 100 when they're both in the same place again. Um, what do you guys think about the Brittany Becky scene? Because I found that one to be, I know it's trying to set up Becky as, you know, it's kind of saying, oh, we're going to hint, hint, this might be where it's going. But I actually really liked it. I really thought that, you know, here Becky has this legitimate fear of what life is going to be like when all the people she knows graduates and she was, she's going to have to, too. And that can be really, really frightening. 
Um, we'll talk about the ending part of it later, but right for this particular scene between the two of them, I, I found it very sweet and I really liked it. Well, they yeah. have a friendship going back to season one that's always been very sweet. Um, so it wasn't very surprising to me that Becky chose to confide in Brittany. Um, I think Brittany's been very kind to Becky since season one. And I don't think we've ever seen Becky lash out at Brittany the way she does at everyone else. I think they get each other in a way other people just don't. And yeah. it was just so sweet and you felt so bad. Although Becky's like, I'm not going to go to college. I'm like, doesn't she end up going to college? And well, she does because already finds a program. And I actually have that written in my notes that Becky thinking she can't go to college. Everyone, every adult in her life has failed her. And that includes yeah. Sue. Yep. Because if it took Artie, like, taking, like, two seconds on Google and finding her, you know, and saying, look, here's a program for students with Down syndrome at a college, and you can go to college, and you can live on campus, and you can have the normal college life, where were her parents? Where was Sue? Well, obviously, Sue didn't even, Sue got mad at Artie for even doing that. And I, and I find sometimes Sue's relationship with Becky to be slightly problematic i don't know how to put it into words i don't i think sue gets a lot of i think people like go oh well sue you know is so kind of becky but i don't becky's very honest with sue but i don't always feel like sue is good for becky she she was obviously trying to hold her back and she didn't do that her sister um and that's her experience with down syndrome um uh, before becky and then before her daughter um, where her sister was institutionalized. That's true. That's a good point. Long. So, like, she, that's probably, like, the basis of how she knew, like, what the, like, what the abilities of somebody with Down syndromes is you, like, give them as much, like, independence as they can, but still they're, you know, limited. And um, but that's not true. I mean, even when Artie did find that program, Sue was mad at him because she didn't she didn't want to let Becky go. Yeah. Yeah, so, I was gonna you know, say maybe it's a combination of the two. I don't know. I don't have Sue's up there with Will for me, where it's very hard for me to look at them objectively and not just be like you're terrible and horrible and nothing you do is right. <laughs> so I'm biased well, that in that way, probably. <laughs> so so much that you don't really understand her motivations when when they try to make her like a sympathetic human yeah because they they humanize her and then like the next episode or sometimes the same episode she's back to being like a cartoon villain so it's it's hard it's very yeah um so kind of going away from britney um for a little bit um Let's talk about Ryder and the Catfish storyline, which starts in Feud. Um, and we get a continuation of this. And Ryder has become infatuated with somebody that on the internet. Um, and one of my... Um, one of my... Criticisms, maybe. I, I'm not a huge Ryder fan in general. And this storyline was not anything that I was ever invested in. Um, but... I, I understand why it was a storyline that, you know, catfishing was also something that's, you know, starting to come up a lot in discussions about teenagers and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, 
However, this whole first part, I get him being like, oh, I met this girl. I can see, you know, I, I understand that part of the story is that he found, he thinks he found this girl and it's not it. My only thing is, did they really need to do an entire song around this one-off character who barely has any lines and really isn't that significant? That's okay. just my opinion, but you can First go all, ahead. And- I'm going <laughs> to say, the song, the reason why they did the whole song wasn't about Marissa, it was about Ryder. Mm-hmm. Because he, he's so desperate when he's singing the song. And so I think that's what it was more about. It wasn't about her. It was about his desperation when he's performing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to say this flat out. Since Glee's ended, a lot of storylines have been kind of able to reconcile and say, okay, this is the end game or this is why this storyline happened. Two of the storylines that I've never, that just were dropped and I've never been able to understand what the point of it was happened in this episode. And that's Ryder and the Catfish and Beast and Will. I, t- I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll talk the, about Beast and Will in a minute. But. Yeah, like, well, Catfish, I think, because was because like, most of the, the viewers were so, so pissed at it. Like, it was the worst thing. <laughs> like, See, I don't think that's why it got dropped. I, I will say that all of the newbies were very tied up with Finn. And I'm wondering if he was eventually going to play a role in it. Because all their storylines essentially got dropped when Corey passed away. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think I, I he was, was very... supposed to play a role in that. I, I was kind of pissed like they spent so much time on this catfish storyline and then they dropped it and they didn't discuss it and then I was just kind of like I'm I'm okay with Ryder and Unique and then we got nothing pretty much until the, you see them like holding hands during I Lived just like oh that makes me happy but still that pisses me off that they invested they made me care and I didn't want to care and ah. <laughs> yeah I think <laughs> give me I... a resolution so I can stop caring about the stupid storyline that I don't want to be invested in and I hate you wasting our time with it. I'm I, 95% sure that Finn was supposed to be. I have a yeah, feeling that like, what was supposed yeah. to happen was Ryder quit Glee Club and Finn was going to be the one to bring him back because he's just right back there. Um, he's oh going yeah. And then Corey goes to rehab so they cut Blaine's storyline with Becky and they cut a lot of stuff when Corey went to rehab and then, you know, he never came back. So a lot of those storylines didn't get wrapped up in the way that I think they were planned. So and the- I also kind of wonder, and anybody can correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm just completely pulling this out of my butt. I think this particular topic for this episode was also a late addition. Um, I feel like it's something they're like, oh, we have another episode and we need to let's do this topic. This would be a great place for this topic. Um I think when they were, I don't know. I just, I don't know why. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. Yeah. So, I, I wish they had like, um, I, I didn't really like the the catfishing. I like never paid it any attention until like I started seeing people who really liked like the the potential of writer unique and like just thinking of the like that is probably what the story could have been about more than like just getting in the whole catfishing hot topic button thing. Um, I think it is because when you look at who you, I mean, I do think that unique as a character probably would have had a little more forethought than to choose a girl that goes to their school. But that's, Mm -hmm. that's that, you know, that's a whole other topic. 
But, I mean, when you look at who she chose, who's a leader, I mean, she chose someone who is, like, her polar opposite. She's small, petite, white, blonde, cisgendered. You know, it plays a lot into it of, you know, this this is her thought pattern as to who Ryder would be with based on what she knows about him so far. And so I think that that would have been an interesting storyline that Unique's like, you know, I like you, but would you would you want to go out with me that knowing that I'm trans and I'm black, you know, you would you even be attracted to that? And I feel mm-hmm. like that was the more interesting angle yeah, that they we never got to. Started to do something with it with feud. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and I was gonna say I think that okay, so this is only the second episode with the catfishing stuff. I think that by this point, we're not already sick of it. I think that it integrates very, very well into this episode. And I think that, like, all of the tension with what's going on, with Ryder trying to figure out who is doing this, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think that, that it was written decently well. I don't think it's until later that we all get really tired of the catfish well, storyline. But I, I also... was watching it the first time I was sick of it at this point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't even care either, and I, I still don't. But um, I, I, but I think that when I went back and, for example, I rewatched a lot of it because I, I, this is not an episode I go back and watch very often. Um, and I'm like, oh no, I'm like, when I see it, kind of objectively taking my actual personal feelings out of it, I do think that they did a pre- pretty decent job with it. Um, I just, you know, I wonder if, if they had made it really obvious. Uh, that unique was the one doing it so that they had that angle of, I wonder if, if it would have been able to be sustained a little bit longer if, if the, if people, cause I know they're trying to play it up for the mystery and of course the tension in the, in the choir room when the phone goes off and whatnot, but I have to wonder for a sympathy if it would have worked better if we had known that it was unique a lot earlier. More so. focus on the, on why unique would do it versus focusing on, who did it? Is it this person? Is it that person? And less writer kicking chairs and more yeah. of us trying to understand the other side of it. Because as much as I love the newbies, I did not love the storyline. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're watching a show week to week and there's other storylines that you want resolution, you know, because at this point mm-hmm. we're all thinking, well, Kurt and Blaine haven't spoken since the wedding, you know? Yeah. I want to see what's going, you know, what's going to happen Oh yeah. That. You know what I mean? And then there's the, you know, you know, so you're thinking like, well, I don't want to deal with Ryder and, and whoever this mystery person is. Right. Because exactly. I want to see this other thing. And it feels longer because you're watching it and you're like, okay, but when are we going to hear about, you know, what's going on in New York or when are we going to hear about what's going on with Kurt and Blaine or what's going on with Ben and Rachel or, you know, this, that, or whatever other, or Britannia or whatever other thing you're interested in. And so it, it makes it feel like a nuisance. Whereas now you have closed canon and we know, you know, what's going on down the line. It doesn't feel as, you don't feel as anxious, like waiting for like, what's going to come out of, you know, all these other storylines, you can look at it a little differently. Mm. But even then, knowing that it gets dropped, it just takes up time. And right. then out of the newbies, I prefer Ryder's background background stuff and his friendship with Jake than his romantic storylines because sometimes Ryder's kind of a douche, which I think he's supposed to be. He's, you know, take Finn at that age. Finn was a douchebag at that age, too. 
I said I, I, I do remember. Oh, ahead, I'm sorry. I just said a very quick one. I do remember no, no, when this fine. episode came out, a lot of cleaners were very mad that Ryder got your song and Blaine wasn't singing it to Kurt. And just like, eh. That I don't happened know. a lot. And I was wondering yeah. if that was going to come out so that I could. I, I don't know if it's because I listen to so. I know there's a lot of people in fandom who were like, you know, I didn't really listen to music until Glee or like Glee was like their main source of music or they didn't really find like their love of music until Glee where I've always had a love of music. And so there are songs that I wanted to hear and there were songs that I wanted to hear other care, certain characters sing, but I never felt like a song belonged to clean the way that a lot of cleaners did feel about your yeah. song about come what may I love your song. I don't care if Elton John singing it. I don't care if you and McGregor singing it. I don't care if Blake Jenner singing it. I'm just happy to hear it when it when it comes on, as long as it's sung well. So I'm just like, sweet, I love this song. Whereas it was a lot of people were like, uh, uh, wedding song. So it's always been important in my family, at least. Um, yeah, my mom was a big Elton John fan as well. So anything by Elton John holds a sentimental kind of thing for me as well. But like, I still don't even like. I know why Cleaners felt the way they did about Come What May because Chris Colfer had mentioned it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they felt this way about your song. I don't either. And I was just, yeah. um, to, to go on that point, I, I mean, I wasn't one advocating for Come What Way. I wasn't a huge fan of that e- anyway. Me so, neither. But Me neither. yeah, um, I, I, any of these songs that people feel, I feel like there are a lot of songs, though, that just any kind of, any group of cleaners at any point in time are like, we need to have all of these songs because they're love songs. And there was a Jarly one that Jarly sang earlier that they were all mad that the clean didn't sing it either and i'm just like really? you know i yeah what? it was, the, was i think it was that thousand one years twil- thousand years oh, i remember because i was listening to the podcast a while ago <laughs> See, you guys where, mentioned it there where, too i guess that's where i'm confused because okay come with me chris Colfer had said that's like yeah come with his me his favorite understand, like romantic song which i'm like that's how i know you were born in 1990 yes but um <laughs> <laughs> and you know so i i understood what because chris Colfer wanted it so, I, you know, fandom was like, yeah. oh, I want my song. But is this song any way of, like, did Darren mention it? Did Chris mention it? Mm, like, I, yeah. don't, I don't get it. Is this a song that Darren used to do at his shows? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, but I think also, like, song, clean song, uh, thing I'm disappointed is that they didn't have any Christmas songs after season four. Okay, well, that's a yeah. legitimate disappointment. <laughs> like, yeah, see? <laughs> yeah. But that, that's it. Like, I, there's only one song that I can think of that I'm like, that's the wrong singer. That's the, like, I mean, your song, it was, the situation is, is weird. That, that I'm, they pissed it, but I'm pissed like, about the way they used Lady Music Week because I had a whole episode in my mind of the Glee girls doing, like, these female singers of the 90s. Kind of like we're going to sing women's songs. We're going to be doing like Fiona Apple and Tori Amos. And it was going to be like all the girls in Glee Club singing these songs. And then they're like, no, we're going to sing at Santana instead. <laughs> so that's the only thing that we like music wise that makes me very, very angry. And that me, and what they did to my Prince. My thing is Leah Michelle sang Creep. <laughs> yeah that well we, we'll yeah, we, that. yeah we talked about that too <laughs> which is funny I haven't actually done that podcast yet so I'm like oh we're gonna have to talk about Liam Michelle singing Green <laughs> but anyway um, I love that song and like 
<laughs> Pam, we did do it. We did it last week. It was Guilty Pleasures. Yeah, but we didn't talk about New York. Oh, you're right. I was yeah. like, wait a minute, didn't we? We did. We yeah, did the blind right. side, though. We didn't, I haven't done yeah. the New York side yet. I haven't done Feud yet, either. So, anyway. Um, but getting back to this one. Um, I, You know, I still don't really care that much about Ryder. That, and, and it's no, like, people do. And that's really awesome. And I, you know, that's totally cool. But just nothing, even, it's kind of interesting being able to, with it closed canon, looking at it objectively. Because I can take a step back and be like, oh, well, this is how it fits in. And that's kind of interesting. But nothing emotionally connects me to it. So there is I that I feel like distance. his reaction to it is tied to his confession and lights out about having yeah. been sexually assaulted. And so I could see why he would have trust issues. And, you know, he says, you know, I told this person things. So I'm assuming that might have been something that he that he confided in this person about. And then when we see the reaction he gets mm. from Sam and Artie when he confides in Glee Club about it, I could see why if he has this big, like, secret and this traumatic thing that happened to him and he told this person why feeling like this this person is lying to him or or um, gaslighting him or playing him in any way would make him so frantic and scared. Yeah. Um, but I felt like that confession came too late. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time we get to lights out, you know, everyone you're already sick of the catfish storyline. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> For Ryder, a lot of his storylines kind of went nowhere. Like, we had yeah. the Alexia storyline, which kind of went nowhere. We had the, like, he's the new Finn. He's going to be, I don't know, the new leader of the the new, new directions. No, that didn't go anywhere. Like, the the whole, like, Marley, Jake, and Ryder uh, three uh, summer uh, triangle. Yeah. It should have been a threesome. <laughs> it was a triangle that should have been a threesome. <laughs> that would have been cute. But, uh, <laughs> but, just uh, from the, the reaction to Unchained Melody, people just were ha- would have been happy with uh, Ryder and Jake. <laughs> exactly. I think that his scenes with Jake pop, and their memorable scenes are like in dynamic duets. I feel like a more interesting storyline would have just been the friendship between Ryder and Jake and leave Marley out of it altogether. Because I'm thinking if we had a storyline where we know that we know that Unique is the catfish, Ryder finds out earlier that Unique is the catfish. He has Jake as a friend that he can confide in and, you know, kind of work through his feelings for Unique and have that kind of friendship with Jake. It would have been a much better storyline. It would have endeared people to Ryder as a character. I um well two thoughts. First of all, one of the the funnier moments of this episode that I actually truly enjoyed was um uh with the writer stuff and a- after everything had happened and writers trying to figure out who it was that called him or he was calling and he they were talking about Kitty and how he thinks it's Kitty and and um and uh Jake starts he's like you you don't know that it's Kitty it could have been Brad the piano player you know <laughs> he exactly just needs, like yeah. They played off each other really well, and so I wish that that had been more of a focus than all the romantic storylines they kept giving him. 
No, unfortunately, I do think that a lot of feedback from just general audience was that they didn't really care for the newbies. And I think with, on top of the stuff with Finn and, and Corey, I, I think that there was already a um, turn away from the newbies by the end of the season. I think that um, but more so definitely when you go into season five for more obvious reasons after what happened and everything. But um I don't know. I just... Uh, it's I sad because they were brilliant in the first half of season five. Especially yeah. in Acadia or Gaga. They were freaking hilarious. <laughs> so it's it's it sad, though, that by the time they started to really gel and come out comedically... It was too late. And it, was, it was very much too late, I think. so. Okay. Um, so, going to <laughs> this plot line, just never has made any sense to me ever um we have i'm Beast telling you Will. i can meta my way i like you throw a storyline at me i can find some kind of meta way to make it work but this beast and will thing has got me for i don't know i don't know i don't know why well, the only thing i can think of is back in season two and you probably weren't paying attention to it because it was a very special Plain episode. It was never been kissed. Well, yeah, uh, he kissed her. Yeah, that was her first kiss, which yeah was gross. It, then it was like, the way that it, it, yeah, it was a very weird um, plot line. Then, like, it was jarring, and I didn't like it back then. And then they brought this. Well, and I think even back then it was framed in she's opening up and saying, I've never been kissed. And so Will is like, well, I will take pity on you. And yeah, it's still gross, but I can see why logically they thought that this would work. However, this, her randomly, because um, I don't think that Coach Beast had any kind of development through the season that I can think of. There was no storyline there, really. So she, had this, no, just, she was just there as a teacher in this yeah. season, which was fine. Which is like, fine. Her, yeah, but... her, is, her is the almighty, her as the, um, God, I forgot her superhero name that Blaine said she had to have one. Yeah. Her kind of being, yeah, her and yes. kind of being there as, 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 you know, to guide Finn while he's running the glee club while Will was gone. That's where she was fine in that supporting role. And yeah, the thing is that. Good teacher. Because they had what I, what I loved about Beast, especially in season two, was that Will ha- William Schuster has no adult friends. Mm-hmm. None. In season one, he had them, and then Henri cut off his fingers and had to go to rehab for, <laughs> for cough syrup. And then, you know, he didn't have that any friends it. from like then until Beast came, and they went out drinking, and that was freaking adorable. And I loved their friendship there. And that's how it should have stayed. Like I would have loved to see Mr. Shu get married with Beast as his best man. You know what I mean? Like something like that. Yeah. Like he needs a Finn is nineteen. Like I have friends that are younger than me, but they are all old enough to drink. <laughs> and so ruining that where, you know, you had someone who could be a friend to Will that's not a teenager, not you know, and be an equal to him. And friendship, and then turning it romantic out of nowhere. It, ugh, I don't oh, know. Making pasta in the bathtub that just grosses me out. <laughs> oh, that's one of the grossest things Glee's ever done. And Glee's done some gross things. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I don't like. I, I don't under why. 
in the grand scheme of like the character beast from audition until transitioning i can make almost all of the things and her character has been through some ridiculous shit on this show for and i'm just like oh okay so she's gonna be in love with this guy and tell Artie she's a virgin that's odd but okay (laughs) you know oh all of a sudden mercedes is gonna laugh at domestic violence jokes and cooter is beating her up and they're gonna sing at her about it that's weird but okay you know like (laughs) i what like i don't understand what did dot do (laughs) i I don't have an answer if anybody else wants to pipe in with an answer it's like i don't have an answer yeah like if something had happened previous kind of gives a hint but it's just like, oh, you're not with Emma. So it's just like she's been harboring these feelings for, for a long time. But just like, but, but, but. Yeah. But if Shoot Will a Struck when the iron was hot right after the failed wedding, if you were going to do it. <laughs> if Will had played a. Yeah. If Will had played a role in her previous storyline, you know, like maybe he was the one that she went to about Cooter. Because why would she go to Coach Roz? Who, you know what I mean? Like, if, and it kind of harbor from there where she like hero worshipped him or something. You know that would almost make more sense. But they haven't had a significant storyline together since they got drunk together. I also wonder. I don't necessarily see this plotline fitting in with the rest of the episode that well either. I mean, I mean there's the whole say what you need to say, but again. Because yeah. this isn't something Sam needed to come. Sam and Brittany were having communication issues. Mm-hmm. Sam felt like Brittany was ignoring him. That's a communication issue. That's something that they set up at the beginning of the episode. It makes sense. You know, writers having a communication issue. He's talking to this person who's not who they say they are. Say, you know, what do you say if the world's going to end? And it's like they need one more storyline to put in there. So they're just like, hmm. We have 150 characters. <laughs> Who could we put in here? Okay, instead of playing with like, you know, the, maybe they could have made more of a big deal about Kitty confessing the eating disorder stuff. Something. Now nah, we're just going to have Beast have a crush on Will. See, maybe and there, you could have done a Ken Tanaka joke. Yeah. Oh, oh well, yeah. Uh, really quickly, though, I think that they could have done something more with Artie or Blaine who both kind of get shafted in this episode a little bit. I mean, I understand and we'll talk about that kind of stuff in a minute, but like you could have done something more with some of the kids that were in there, but they chose to do this beast will thing, but yeah. Oh, and then, yeah, like obviously the end is that he gets her a online. Yeah. Who does that further? Oh, that drives me crazy. Don't set up somebody's online profile. Um, and Unless they ask you to, because yep, they are exactly. technologically impaired. There you go. <laughs> but, and then, you know, I get the joke. Even then, uh-huh. having an online profile. Huh, what, I'm sorry, Carly, what did you say? Use it, like. Yeah. I don't know. Never. <laughs> but, Only to you know, never hear about it again. No, yeah, never to hear it again. Storyline, story she's transitioning. And yeah, haha, Ken Tanaka is in Oregon, and so Ken Tanaka, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I think Beast can do a lot better than Ken Tanaka. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he's gross, and he always looks like his hands would be clammy. Yeah. So, 
Okay, yeah. so then we get into the actual shooting part, and it's about 10 to 15 minutes. I should have timed it. I didn't. Um, Brittany saying, uh, oh, her um, her telescope was just a Pringles can with a uh, ladybug, ladybug on it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I glossed over that. But if you wanted to go ahead and touch upon the, the astronomy stuff, go ahead. I, like, she changes in her speech. She's like, you know, she also, in the earlier speech, changed it from an asteroid to a meteorite, meteorite to, you know, it, 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 so, yeah. But um, uh, getting into the, the actual shooting stuff, I, I guess I'll go first. I guess we can go around and talk about this a little bit. But the, the thing that I want to say is um, that as a person who is not emotionally connected to 99% of the people that were in that room, I think that it was a very well done 10 to 15 minutes of television. I think, especially if you don't know about the shooting, because like I did go in knowing, but um, I, I think that the way they set it up, that just the, the tension in there, the fact that even though the metronome would not be in the middle of the floor, that there's no music, there's just this ticking metronome, that there's these scared people and um, everywhere and Sam being, you know, wanting to get out to help Brittany and Brittany's absolute fear in that bathroom. I, I do think that it was very well done. Yeah. And the metronome was on the floor. Cause when Blaine moved the piano, it fell off. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know. That's, okay. <laughs> and I just want to say, um, I know Artie is an original member of the new directions and is often lumped with this, with that group, but no other group has ever taken the time to really work with Artie in his chair. Like this one. And boys, Blaine does his choreography sitting. And closer, they lift Artie out of his chair so he can sit with them. And in this episode, Blaine helps Artie out of his chair and gets him in, gets him to safety behind the piano before worrying about himself. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, I don't know, for me, it just cements how close this group is because... No one, before that, no one, I mean, they've done choreography. I think Mike might be the only one who may have done some choreography where he's down on Artie's level. But aside from Wheels, you don't really see them take Art, like Artie's just kind of in his chair doing whatever they're doing. Whereas the new, new directions really do, you know, take the time to work with Artie and integrate him. And here you have Blaine making sure that Artie is okay, you know, in the middle of all this, like, that was like the first thing he did was move the piano, get Artie to safety. Um, I will say that some of the shots of like, I really have no, um, I don't really care that much about Marley's mom's storyline, but the, those shots of her hiding in the kitchen mm-hmm. were really hard. And then um, one of the things that really got me just re- on rewatch, because I, I have a heart of stone and none of this really affects me as much anymore, but um, <laughs> is that when, and I could, cause I could probably because I completely forgot about it, when, when Will goes to get Brittany. Now, Brittany, st- that, that whole time in the bathroom is really terrifying. I think that was one of the best parts of the whole part of it. But um, when she opens the door, two other people come out and it, I was just like, oh my God, that's right. You know, like she wasn't actually alone, but all of these kids were that scared. And, and for some reason that just kind of like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's yeah. It's, it's, it's not just our, our little glee club, but like a, a school full of kids, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you see the empty showers and you know what I like about the shot of Marley's mom. I mean, I mm-hmm. honestly can't stand Marley's mom. A lot of the time, like the dialogue they give her really put a bad taste in my mouth. 
What I like about that shot of Marty's mom is the thing is with a school is that it's more than teachers and students that make a school go around. There's janitors, there's electricians, there's my school had, you know, security. Um, there's so many different people. There's groundskeepers. There's, there's all these people in a school that are necessary to a school functioning. Mm-hmm. And no one thinks of these people. They think of the teachers and they think of the students and, you know, the administrators, you know, but no one thinks of the person that's got to clean up after the kids, cook for the kids, make sure that the school is running, you know, electricity, AC, all, all the things that make a school work as a, as a functioning kind of thing. And so I like that they included that shot of Marley's mom because it, it's a reminder that there's more, there are a lot more people in a school mm. that could be affected by something like this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like we write about janitor's closets because it's a cool place for characters to make out in a fic, but what about the janitors when something <laughs> yeah. like this happens, you know? Yep. So I did like that they included that, that they're going to be scared and freaking out just as much as anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and also, okay. I gotta give Corey and Heather like MVP. Okay. Their acting in this episode was freaking amazing. Yeah. They broke my heart. The um, all the shots of the empty hallways with like things just spilled everywhere, and like in the locker room, the the showers still going off, and like Some even kid like, ran out of there naked, like and naked and afraid. Yeah. Do people really take showers at school? I know what my school did. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wonder. I, that's like one of those TV things that after, I don't after know. After swim or before swim, we had to, and then after swim to like get the chlorine out of our hair. But we were yeah, like, like still in our um, bathing suits. We had a pool in our in our school. That was my biggest fear going into middle school: was that I'd have to shower in front of other people. And then I got there, and the showers were old and rusty because they clearly had not been used. Yeah. In like fifty years, <laughs> which is really gross to think about too, because like these <laughs> <laughs> kids with their like hormones and oh, I'm sure we smelled horrific. Go through, like, no one took a shower. Yeah, mm-hmm. they go through uh, PE and and sports, and they don't shower. Like that's really gross, but, but yeah, <laughs> like yeah. nobody. Them. Um, we didn't even have time. Uh, Bethany, been been a little quiet. Did you want to talk about your thoughts on on this section of the episode at all? I have many thoughts. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, like I know you mentioned the metronome. Like the metronome is like the most powerful thing in this whole section because it's keeping on ticking, and part of it's like heartbeat, and it's just mm-hmm. like they're still alive, but it's still so deadly serious. And then they have all their little clicking phones, and I'm like, I'm fairly certain in this situation. They would not be texting and your teacher would actually not be telling you to do that. But I don't know because it might be different for every single school. But I'm fairly certain he would not be telling you to text, especially with your phones being as loud as they freaking are. Because all you can hear is some buzzing and clicking and buzzing and clicking and everything like that. But uh, that's 
whatever. Somebody can tell me and correct me if I'm completely wrong, but I, I wouldn't think that'd be something he would incur- be actually be encouraging them to do. But I will admit that it was like, I love you all. I started to ball, and I don't think I stopped the entire 15 minutes that they were in that room. Because, like, Blaine's there having a freaking panic attack, pretty much, and breaking he, down. Oh, my God. I was just waiting until we could just have a moment. Yeah, I think I saw Meta from UK or Meta you vlogs <laughs> that said Blaine is pretty much having a panic attack. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, you get it. That when he's- Blaine is upset or uncomfortable, he does everything in his power to make himself as small as possible. Like he does it in prom queen when um, they're at Kurt's house and Kurt's trying on the kilt, and he, you know, Blaine looks physically uncomfortable and he shrinks in on himself. Blaine tries, like he. If he could physically make himself disappear when he's uncomfortable, he does. Mm. And his, like, his body language, like, he doesn't speak the whole time. Like, he's just it curled up in a ball. And then once Sam loses it, Blaine's just, like, done. Yeah. Like, and he, when, when done. Ryder, like, starts calling, if I would snatch the phone out of his hand and smashed it. But Blaine's <laughs> so, just Yeah, exactly. Like, Hang up. I think, like, earlier they were like, Sam, you're putting everyone in danger. Nobody says that to riders. Like, you are putting everyone in danger. Like, Will is out being stupid and getting Brittany. I'm, I, I hope Blaine's, like, crying and telling him to hang Will, up. Yes, yeah, and then, then when Artie is, like, videotaping, Blaine is like, no, I can't. Like, just. No, yeah. I have a theory. I've got a theory. Okay. Um, so, at the beginning of the episode, Mr. Shu says... You know, is is there anything you need to tell your love? You know that you need to tell your loved ones. Here's what I'm thinking on why we didn't get a message from Kurt, from Blaine to Kurt. Blaine has already laid it on the line with Kurt, right. and I do. There's nothing that Blaine needs to say to Kurt uh, regarding his feelings. He's not hiding anything. That's true. Like, everyone's making a, different... a confession. Of things that like they felt like they needed to get out. Marley's telling her mom about you know the songs that she was hiding. Kitty confesses to the eating disorder stuff. Like it's all very much these things that you need to get off your chest. And Blaine made it clear how he feels about Kurt. I, no I also there. I actually have a. I, I mean, well, I, I do agree with that. I think that's very interesting. I never thought of that before. I just had another take on it, um, which is just difference it could be in addition to um is that storytelling wise they purposely this is a good moment to say you know they purposely did not have new york in this episode it would disrupt the flow of this episode entirely so obviously for narrative reasons they didn't do that but i think also had blaine got in contact with kurt it would have still tied that new york part in not they didn't have to show him but even if they did i feel like this is a story about you know, yeah, I mean, yes, Sam and Brittany get a, a big chunk of it, but I do think this is a newbie story. I think this story is very much centered on these people and their, you know, this particular group of people and what is going on with them. And I think that is why Blaine and Artie, they have these smaller things and, and they're definitely, I think, in character moments, but I don't think it is their story. I think their story. And even Tina not being in there. It's not Tina's story either. Even though Tina plays a really great role and we'll talk about her in a minute. But, um, you know, had in the choir room, had Blaine reached out to Kurt, then you're taking in this outside stuff. But the point is to keep it inside the school and inside 
you know, even with Marley and her mom, it's still inside the school. And Ryder's storyline is still inside the school. And Sam and Brittany are inside the school. And that was narratively the purpose of that, if that makes any sense. So. Yeah. And Can it's I one say of something? Things- oh, yeah. Go ahead. Um, we see Blaine texting. So there's nothing to say that he doesn't text right. Kurt and say, like, there's a gun in school. I love you because I've read that fic. And, you know, if you I think a- we've all read that fic. <laughs> but <laughs> at the end, when he, Blaine and Tina are talking, just jump off what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Basically, that conversation that Blaine and Tina have when they're walking down the hall, that's exactly what we would have gotten if we had gotten New York. Like, probably a bit more ramped up because it might have been a bit more emotional where Blaine has more romantic feelings for Kurt. But that's essentially what we would have gotten. We didn't need New York. We had it because, you know, Tina wanted to be in that room. Kurt would have said pretty much the exact same thing. And then it might have been more of a forced, I almost lost you. Let's get back together, which might lead to right. Propose when we're not even together, but I'll get into that, you know, yeah. <laughs> later. But <laughs> well, and I, it's I kind of that, that, that was the main reason we didn't need New York because we had that conversation yeah. between Blaine and Tina, and it would have just been repeating. Would we have liked to see it? Sure, never going to turn down more claims. I but also think that jumping off of what you're saying, that again, and, and this, you know, this is coming from you guys know how big of a Kurt fan I am. Okay, yes, I would always love more Kurt, but in this instance, in this story. New York would have been too disruptive. And I think that even with Blaine and Tina, they have now gone through something, even though she was on the outside, but she was still in the, you know, in this place when this is going on. And it happened, something that happened. And and you have a special, you know, unfortunately or not, but it's a bond. It is something that these people are going to understand amongst each other that Blaine to Kurt, you know, there is a slight disconnect there. So I just think, by nature of the episode. Also, I'm going to say in this, this, I don't know how to put it otherwise. Um, and it, so it may come out bitchy or unpopular. If Kurt had been brought into the story in any way, it would have become about Kurt in a way because of Kurt's history of losing people. Oh, that's true too. It yeah. needed to be about the people in that room. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And I, I will say, I will say this really, and this isn't to you guys, you three understand me, but when I say this to my podcast listeners, I love Kurt so much. Come on, I would not spend this much time on it. But he was not necessary for this episode, nor there was no reason he, sh- and he wasn't, but there's no reason that he, that the New York storyline should have been in there. Um, so this was a story about these kids at the school experiencing something that they could only understand. And that is why it took place solely in McKinley. So. Yeah, I always feel like there there's some things that just have to be left for fan fiction and like let the story happen as it's happening. And exactly. Like, and there's been great fan fiction about like the oh whole, yeah, like um, about Kurt and Rachel finding out and and Santana finding out. Yeah, and those have been some and those have been some of the best fix I've ever like best reaction fix that I've read mm-hmm. and. You know, I don't think the episode, I don't even think they didn't have time to do it justice anyway. If they had had, you know, Rachel, even if they'd taken like a little scene at the end to have Rachel and Kurt and Santana find out, like maybe show Kurt, like the way that they showed everyone getting the texts in Bash. Or in City of Angels. Yeah, they wouldn't have had time to dedicate to their reaction. Mm -hmm. You know? You know, and even though Corey wasn't in rehab yet, Finn's in, Finn's at college. Finn's not a part of this either. It's it needed to be about McKinley. 
the people currently at McKinley. And anyone else's outside reaction, there just wouldn't have been any time yeah. to really get into it. So it would have been I a really waste anyway. People that would be interesting to see the reaction. Rachel doesn't really have anybody, I mean, other than Mr. Shu, that, like, that were her person. Like, yeah, Finn wasn't there. She doesn't really have connections. She, uh, like, her, her besties are, like, Kurt and, and then there's Finn. And, like, um, so she's not connected. So we don't really need to see her, her reaction. Um, Kurt, we could see his reaction. And then Santana. But if you showed Santana's reaction, that takes away from the, the whole storyline of, of Brittany and Sam that, like, is probably the biggest story arc in other than the shooting, I guess, um, of this episode. Exactly. And, like, don't take away from their their story to bring in Santana, because Brittany and Santana, while they don't get enough, arguably, storylines of their own, um, this is not the time for them. And Yeah, no. It's not the time for it. We love him, but this is this is not his story. Yeah. Um, kind of on a different thought entirely. Or sorry, Kay, did you have something more? I didn't. No, know. I just wanted to just about Sam. Oh yeah, go ahead. I've always I've always mentioned like I've always talked about Sam, and Sam needed to. I I like that you got all these different reactions to trauma, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas Blaine completely shuts down. And has a quiet panic attack, but is completely withdrawn and just breaking down to himself. We have Sam, who has the polar opposite reaction. And so, and that, I think that the part that broke, that that I broke down at, was Will wrestling Sam to the ground. Yup. That part hurts me every time I watch it. And it doesn't hurt me, I mean, this honestly... This episode is one of Will's best episodes. Will was an excellent authority figure in this episode. I need more. I, I want more of this Will that shows that he cares about the kids, but not in an overstepping way. He loves these kids, and it's in this episode, it's not creepy. It's not scary. It's not odd. You know, it's scary, but it's yeah. not like this weird, like, over, like, dude, get a life. It is. They're not friends. Yeah, it is unfortunate a little bit, at least I thought something that stood out to me while watching it is that he makes this big deal about, you know, these guys and figuring stuff out and whatever. And that to later on, and I will get way more into it when we get to this particular episode, but way, way later on in 100 when he's like, only you people know what are going, you know, he brings back the old crew. He doesn't even bring yeah. in Bradley and Sam. And he's like, only you guys know what really happened in here. I'm like, oh. You experience so. this huge thing with these kids in this room. Yeah, that that's kind of that bums me out because it it's not fair. But that's when when they are fighting Sam and Blaine is like Blaine has a physical reaction to watching them wrestle Sam away from the door and it just oh my god, that part. I'm like getting choked up just thinking about it and I just watched it not that long ago. I was just finishing it when we started. That part is the hardest part for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to say, before we get on to the, the Tina stuff, because I do want to talk about her, um, I want to say that I think for me, because I really don't have as much emotional connection with these characters, I have to wonder if I would have been more affected by this story had it been 
like in season three or season two, when all of these characters that I really cared about were in the, in the story, in, in the, the choir room. And it's just I, something I think about every once in a while. I do wonder how it would have turned out because that group of personalities is so different. Mm-hmm. And there was so much more infighting. Because, I mean, here, I mean, obviously, I have a huge love for this particular group of New Directions. Nothing against the original group, obviously. I wouldn't have even made it this far into the show if I didn't care about the original group. But the way that this particular group connects without all the infighting and all the jealousy that you had in that first group, which is because Finn was their teacher and not Will, um, (laughs) that we get Kitty's tearful confession to Marley, that we get Kitty running to Unique um, when she's scared, that you get Marley confessing about her songwriting, that you get this, like, closeness of the... This group was already close, and then you get, like, the resolution of these things that you thought were kind of, you know, weren't going to ever get resolved. You know, that part, if you are a fan of the movies, is something that, like, from the small group of us that are, we don't, you know, it's a very important episode Mm -hmm. for us. And it kind of, in a way, and there's nothing against people who don't like them. Like, if you don't like them, you don't like them. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they were unfairly treated by fandom for not being the original group. And a lot right. of that is on the writers for how they introduced them. I didn't like them at first either. But it just kind of, it bums me out that even after, like, no one gave them a fair chance. And then season six comes and everyone's like, I love the twins. I love these newbies. And I'm just like, that sucks. Yeah. These kids didn't really get a fair shake from beginning to end. The way they were introduced automatically turned everyone against them. And then because of the what happened with Corey, they're just like completely dropped. And so it, it makes me sad that people are just really dismissive of them. And so, I mean, I just it just really bums me out because I think they were a great group. And there's a lot to like there. Um but I do wonder how it would have turned out with the original Glee Club. I think it I would, like, to have something similar, it would probably be in season one. Yeah, I can't imagine season two or three, really. Season three was a little too cartoonish. I don't think that they were as much. It's weird because they did, you know, like, spousal abuse in that season. But I, I just don't see that group uh, you know, that work, the story type working, because season four does have this darker, you know, feel to it throughout most of the season. And um, season two, I don't know, season two is just a different story the, altogether. So the thing about the original Glee Club, and I don't know if, I don't know if it's, I won't say it's like, a, I don't know how to word it, but a lot of times we're told about these bonds but we never. But we never them. saw them. Yeah, you know. No, like and I will. We, the the first, the original Glee Club has like its little factions. You know, you know. Mm-hmm. There's Kurt and Mercedes. There's Kurt and Rachel. There's the whole. There's the unholy Trinity. There was five seconds where Quinn was nice to Mercedes. There, you know what I mean. And yeah. so it's not this big. They like to say like, oh, we're this big group and da 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 da. But can you just see Kurt and Puck hanging out? No. Well, I just you think, know what I mean. Like, I mean, I hardly bought. I hardly bought Rachel and Santana. It literally came out of nowhere one day where they're like, we should be friends. And I was like, oh, she's moving into, they're going to be friends in New York. That's why they're doing that. You know what I mean? Like it didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't organic. 
this closeness. I, you know, and I will they... say, as somebody who I, I don't really enjoy the newbies, um, I don't hate them, and I do see why a lot of people like them, and I do prefer season six newbies. But, but I will say that I do think they were treated unfairly a lot of the times. I think they got the short end of the stick in a lot of ways, and I do think like that you are correct in your assessment of they actually went out of their way and showed how all of these characters connected with each other. It was probably easier because it was only four of them, five of them, five of them, um, as opposed to like 15. But um, yeah, so I, I can see what you're saying and I do understand. And we just agree to disagree on whether we enjoyed them or not. But then, you know, I'm so, um, so yeah. The reason why I said um, it might have worked in season one, because that was before, like, the big personalities came out. I mean, they all had their personalities, but, like, they got a lot more established in the, the in season two and three. Um, there would have been a lot you had to cover. Yeah. yeah. Well, I can see the tone of early season one would have made sense. Because by the time you get to the second half of season one, it's a very, very different show. So in that respect, yes. But then, you know, it wouldn't. It, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I can't think of a period other than season one where with the original group where there wasn't some kind of conflict mm-hmm. to the point where if they're locked down in that room and we know that Santana lashes out when she's upset and her and Rachel didn't get along until randomly and dance with somebody and you know we know Rachel's going to be dramatic and it's going to be like a bit like I have a hard time imagining them being able to hunker down in the way that this group did and that's not a criticism it's just there are so many personalities and there were so many storylines and so many relationships that you would have had to cover and you wouldn't have been able to do it in the way where like you, you know like Pam said you're able to kind of Give Artie and Blaine small moments, but let the majority of it be about the newbies. If they had done this in season one, I mean, season two or season three, they would have had to cover so much because mm-hmm. there's Fenchel and Britannia and, and, you know, the friendship between Finn and Pac. And then there's Kurtzides and Hummel. Well, Kurtzides would have been ignored. Sorry. Then there's Hummelberry. <laughs> and then there's, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and it's just so much. That you would have it would had to definitely be a very different show. Yeah. yeah, and I just have a hard time imagining how they would have done it that wouldn't have been too much happening mm-hmm. in yeah. the course of that. I, I think one thing that makes it work is that it's this very quiet, it really does only focus on a very, very small amount of characters in these small little moments. And that's, I think, adds to the tension of it. Very, very well, because you can zero in on these key characters, like Brittany back in the bathroom and, you know, the the already getting on his phone and like that, those confessional moments, which were all really very powerful. So and it's because, you know, because the writing kind of a lot of times when Glee kind of hit that sweet spot in season two, there were still so many storylines that were kind of going on, even in the background. Mm-hmm. Even if you weren't, even if it wasn't, like, if it wasn't the focus of the episode, you knew that, like, Brittany was dating Artie and Santana was kind of struggling with her sexuality. Even if they didn't mention it, if Kurt was still at McKinley, you knew that he was being bullied by Karofsky, even if it wasn't 
the focal point of the episode. You knew, you know what I mean? There were like so many, you know, mm-hmm. season two, you had the Quinn, Finn, Rachel, like there was so much stuff, even if it wasn't the focal point. Whereas in season four, there's not as much going on in the background of the episodes because you're getting like little bits of resolution here and there. Like the big part of the clean breakup is not necessarily resolved, but you got some kind of movement in the wedding to where, you know, the curtain blade are in a good place and they're communicating. So they don't need to be mentioned or focused on in this episode. You know, that like Santana's storyline right now is more about finding herself in New York. So you can ignore the Britannia of it all and focus on, Blaine and Sam, you know, Artie doesn't really have anything going on at this point because he's not in his relationship with Kitty yet. So you can kind of let that go. The Blaine and Tina stuff is part of the episode, but at this point she's not in the room that gets handled later in the episode. There's not so much going on in the background to where it feels like, oh, we have something like if they don't talk about it, it's like missing. I mean, I know people felt like things were missing, but not in the way that it would have been, like, huge omissions if mm-hmm. this had happened in an earlier season. Yep. Um, kind of... Oh, one thing I want to say before we move to Tina, I promise we will move forward in just a second. Um, one thing I noticed is that they, the ending of the whole shooting part of it, they actually used some score that they hadn't used since season one, and I thought that was really interesting. It's kind of this quiet like piano-ish melody stuff. And it is actually the score that they use during season one, during some of the heavier emotional moments. And I think that's really interesting because it kind of brings back that kind of darker feel that season one had. I didn't even touch that. Yeah. Yeah. If you go back and listen, it might've been used continued into season two, but it is definitely because probably because I caught it because we've been watching, I've been doing the the rewatch and watching all these season one episodes um, that I noticed it, it really stuck, it stood out to me. It's like, oh, wow, that's because season three, when you get into season three and season four, they have their own scoring and it's much different mm-hmm. than um, the first two seasons. What I noticed that the resolution was A, Blaine, when he hugs Sam, is when Blaine starts crying. And then when they do the group hug, he's tucked in between, he's tucked underneath the writer and Sam's arm. And he mm-hmm. looks so teeny. And I, oh, I just want to hug him. Mm-hmm. And I mostly noticed him calling his mom, and yeah. I just started to cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Pam. I mean, his mom. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it did throw me for a second, but I was like, no, wait, he means she is. <laughs> I mean, Blaine's mom. <laughs> I mean, Blaine's mom. Um, so, okay, so we get this Tina stuff, and I think this is really, uh, I think that, you know, I know that some people are like, oh, why did they not let Tina in? And the... But no, I think it's really powerful. I think the fact that you have this character who is outside, who can't get back, her way back in. And when she says later to Blaine, you know, I wish I was in there with you. It does make a lot of sense that she, you know, all these people are experiencing this thing and she wants to be there and make sure that she's safe and she can't get to them. And I, I do think it was a very good moment for Tina. Another yeah, thing about... Oh, sorry. Her breakdown outside when she's like begging... Begins to go back in is is where I cried when or always cry when watching the episode like the rest I'm in like heavy suspense but like that's where I like actually oh my god you know what I find interesting about Tina being on the outside physically in this episode Hmm. is that for so much of the season she has made herself the outsider intentionally because 
I think I mentioned it in one of the, I think maybe Satan Hawkins or like one of the earlier podcasts we did in season four, that Tina's carrying on the original New Direction's way of doing things um, Mm -hmm. with, you know, her attitude and the way that she reacts and how she treats the newbies and everything is very much based on how they did it in the original group with her outbursts and her insults to Marley and her insults to Unique and, and Tina made herself the outsider of the group. And then here we have her physically outside and Mm -hmm. she wants desperately to get in. And even though we get it a little bit more in Tina in the sky with diamonds, you don't really see Tina fighting and lashing out at the group after this episode in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you guys probably have some comments or thoughts on uh, the Blaine and Tina stuff where they're talking in the hallway the next day or so. It's just a really sweet, sweet scene. Um, with them together and like, well, what okay. do you like, cry I was going to ask if you guys had any thoughts about what Blaine says about his parents because I know that was a big thing that everyone talked about afterwards, whether or not this this proves anything about his relationship with his parents, in particular his dad. Yeah, because like, we haven't really heard about his parents since Sexy, and we don't really know much about him until, again until the wedding. And then what we got was a behind-the-scenes picture that didn't end up being canon, so we don't know anything really that happened and i i'm i was thinking like yeah after trauma they probably are going to come together so that's probably how he ended up in dalton because he got beat up sadie hawkins dance and his parents put him in a safe space but then it's just kind of you can't they don't they're not built i guess or not capable of maintaining that and it's just kind of slides and slides and slides until whatever and then something must have happened for Blaine's father to not be at the wedding and who knows what happened but well it was also a uh like his mom didn't even know it was going to be his wedding so yeah I mean I have enough. my head cannon since we know since his mom does Mary Kay and Brittany helped fabricate it but that's a whole other storyline I just I will get there <laughs> I always kind of thought and my head, if you follow my blog, you know I have head cannons about Blaine's family that have probably contradicted each other between them Wait now. a minute. Kay, are you saying that you actually have lots of feelings about Blaine and his family? <laughs> you know, believe it or not. <laughs> Did we do a show on that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, just teasing you, Kay. You know I, I know. Like. I've always, <laughs> okay. I never thought, I never, I never thought the idea that Blaine's dad was abusive in any way that he was cold necessarily i just keep in mind that when we met bert he was taking kurt's car away for wearing long sweaters Mm -hmm. and you know we would have assumed that bert would not have been you know would not have been okay with kurt when he came out you know what i mean so the thing about families is that they're they're complicated and so, even though I could see, you know, Blaine's dad didn't have the best reaction to him coming out, doesn't necessarily mean that he's, like, completely cut off from him. I just always assume that Blaine gets his communication issues from somewhere. Yeah. And he mm-hmm. just, he's not in, he doesn't have the time of family that does the big old, we're going to have this talk 
and hug it out like Bert and Kurt. It's mm-hmm. very much like the bad emotions. We just don't talk about those. Yeah. And and I don't really have an opinion, so I probably won't say much at all about it. I, I think to me, there's just not enough canon evidence to really have a, like, for me to formulate any strong headcanons on it. So I usually, like, whatever people come to the table with, I'm pretty much, like, yeah, so... Yeah, I'm more than happy to let you guys talk about it because I I don't really have an opinion on it. <laughs> like fifty different contradictory headcanons about like <laughs> I exactly. Have, I don't have one one way. I'll go like yeah, he was a horrible father who was distant and like blah blah blah, or like oh he was just misunderstood and they they like just had bad communication and were like really a loving family and just. I th- like, I stick I with Blaine being a mama's boy and his dad doesn't can't communicate for shit. Yeah, that makes sense. No. Okay, so kind of coming to the end though, we have basically we get um, that we learn that Becky is the person that made the gun go off and that Sue takes the fall. And this is where I personally am like we, did we really need to do this? Why couldn't they? I feel like it's a little bit in a, of a cop-out in that, you know, I, I realized that they wanted to contextualize it with somebody that you knew. You didn't want to just have some random person because then you had to, like, set up narrative for why this random person is doing this. But I, I just don't like that they, for lack of a better term, handed Becky the smoking gun and... Then Sue gets to be, you know, do the downfall of it. But then, I, you know, then they humanize her and make her give this giant speech, not only talking politically. I mean, Sue's, Sue's always broken the fourth wall, so that's not out of character. But also, like, you know, I was here. I, you know, all of my Cheerios have gone on to be all these other great people. And now I can't Yeah, do but that you anymore. also threw a couple of people down the stairs and punched a bitch on stage. So don't try that's it. True. <laughs> like, so. I can't. I can't when they try to make Sue, like, the serious educator. Because it's like for every nice thing she's done, I can ten horrifying things that she's done. Yeah. So she threw sticks at Mercedes. Come on. <laughs> she threw sticks at Mercedes. She put dirt in her locker. She ruined Blaine's credit. Like, oh wait, that didn't happen yet. Did that happen yeah, it already? Yeah, it okay. already happened. I, it was good. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? She told she made a plane fly across to make sure everyone knew Blaine was a bottom. Like, she's a horrible, horrible person. And yeah. I don't care and I love Kurt, and his bullying storyline was, you know, broke my heart. Before there was Blaine, it for me to fall in love with. I love Kurt. You know, him and Mercedes are the reason I stuck with this show when I was sick of hearing about Terry and her fake baby. You know, <laughs> but I don't care that Sue was nice to Kurt sometimes because every other thing that she's done to literally every other person has been horrific. Yeah. And so there's nothing that, no matter how many speeches about how wonderful her Cheerios turned out, they Quinn is at Yale in spite, I mean, despite Sue, not because of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But know, also, I think, you know, there's a real discussion about mental health that goes around with these, like, these shootings and how we aren't addressing legitimate mental health issues and not to, you know... I do think there's an interesting story there with Becky, but at the same time, I'm like, you just, you know, you gave the person with a, you know, with Down syndrome a gun and we're going to, you know, do that. It's easy. It's like the easy way out. And I just don't think that is, 
it just doesn't feel right to me. If if they wanted to give it to a random kid, why not have it be someone? How about if it had been poor bully Dottie drops her gun? Yeah. You know, what if it had been Stoner Brett? Or if it had just been he sells weed for crying out loud. He's on probation. He dropped his gun. Not you know Becky brings the gun to school and. Then Sue lies and said that she got real clumsy, so she dropped the gun and it went off twice. <laughs> Whatever it is that Ross says. But, you know, there were other ways to do it. And I don't really, I don't feel like it's my place to talk about Becky or disability because I know zero yeah. on, the, on the subject. I'll say that too, right? I really don't know. But All of the characters they could have had that had a reason to have a gun. I mean, you literally could have easily had it been like Stoner Brett's high. He forgot he had his gun and he dropped it. Makes Maybe they were trying to get a conversation started about, like she says in the episode, it's my father's gun. So I was thinking, why does your father have a gun that is loaded with safety off, I guess? I don't know how guns work. That In a place where she could get it. And maybe they wanted to start that conversation. Mm-hmm. But that could have happened with anybody aside from Becky because it could have been any of them saying like I'm scared this is how I'm going to protect myself it didn't have to be her and like, or if they wanted to have the conversation conversation about mental health they could have gone the Buffy route where Jonathan brought the gun to school but not because he wanted to hurt anyone else but because he wanted to hurt himself well that's what they were doing with Becky I mean she was like I you know it was a semi-suicidal moment which I get and I do think that there is a conversation you can have there about how people with disabilities also have mental can have mental issues and we can discuss this and we you know treat them like the normal people that they are so I get that but I like again it feels like just too easy like if we yeah out of all the terrible things Sue deserved to get fired for this was not one of them <laughs> and it by the end of the season, she's back to working at the school, and everybody knows that it was Becky. And Becky, I think, only gets like a suspension. Suspended yeah, because there was supposed to be that storyline where Blaine goes, where Blaine's Nightbird again, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to involve Finn somehow. And there were stills of it where Blaine, it's like dark, and he's like interrogating Becky about it because he gets the he gets the he realizes that it's that it was Becky. In that scene with Roz, where they have to right. go through that whole, that whole oath, that freaking hilarious scene, mm-hmm. and so it's supposed to be this whole thing where he figures it out, and then him and Sam go undercover and they try to get Becky to confess, but then yeah. Corey goes to rehab and they don't do it. So in, in the end, it just kind of, you know, super gets exonerated, but it it gets kind of. Yeah, swept under. Well, and the other thing is, and this is going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I can only speak from my experience of being the the daughter of of teachers. Um, And actually, Bethany, you you might speak to this because I know you, you you know, you work in education that if Sue had pulled this in real life, even the protection of Becky would have gotten her fired. She wouldn't have gotten her job back. Yeah. Oh, hell no. Although part of me thought, like, does Sue actually have a gun in that school? Because it wouldn't surprise me if Sue had an actual gun in that actual school, in a safe. Like, She's got drones yeah. and 
bugs every classroom. So she would have been fired. She would have never gotten hired again. And she was right. That's the first line. She, that would have been her legacy. And yes, I I know she's a terrible person, and she's done a lot of bad crap. She's done some good crap too. But yeah, this is what she would be remembered for. And she yeah. decided to give all of that up to protect Becky. And part of that is sweet, but still, that no, no. Stop and I, my sister's number one thing because she's a teacher. Is like I can't do I can't be caught and so like we joke around like she's like I can't get I can't deal with this if I get in a fight I can't be a teacher anymore even though she's not obviously gonna get in a fight you know like she could lose there would be no way in hell she would ever come back from that no well yeah. and I mean she probably a... should have gotten fired for punching out that lady on Sue should have gotten fired for so many things Sue and should have it... gotten fired in early season one and not been able to come back after she leaked the set list. And bribed Figgins, that would have been a fire, whatever. Sue should have never been an educator to begin with, to be honest with you. So um, she was always a cartoon character who broke the fourth wall. And they tried to humanize her at various points, but I don't think she was ever... never stopped because they wanted to go back to the... They should have just... If they could have just humanized her and let it stick and given her another storyline... A, season six would have been a lot better. But <laughs> it just, it, they, uh, I'm sorry. I forgot how That's the okay. words. That's it, just, okay. it drives me crazy because it's like, this is a very humanizing moment for her. But what's the point of it? If, you know, we're going to be back and she's going to have a face cage on and a KDR Gaga, like a cart and has like fecal sculpture career week like you know coming up the next season it's like what was the point like I mean obviously the point was everyone liked Jane Lynch and they needed to make sure that she kept getting nominated for Emmys but also like there had to be another way yeah so kind of coming to the end of this episode I think what I want to say is that I know I hear a lot of times that this was a completely throwaway episode and you didn't, you could, but I do think that a lot of things in this episode really did affect things going forward and would have more so had, you know, the stuff with Corey not happened. Can so, I say a thing? Uh, I'm going to make it, I'm going to say something. <laughs> I think you do this like once this a is, podcast. That's fine. Kate. I know. <laughs> this is going to sound so crazy. <laughs> this is going to sound so crazy because I don't even really have any evidence for this. But I have always, always since it aired thought that Blaine's desperation to propose was a reaction to this. I think a I lot of people... I thought that when I was watching it, that mm-hmm. this this definitely started him down the, oh, I'm not together with Kurt, but I should propose to him so I can keep him. And I'm like, and don't get me wrong, I love the season five premiere. It's probably actually my favorite Glee episode and if I'm on that podcast, I will probably not shut up about why it's my favorite Glee episode. <laughs> I really hope I'm back for it. But at the end of season four, I was like, no, Blaine, you're not together. Get back together with him first. And then down the line propose. I, But yeah, I totally thought that I was watching it. It's like where they kept on stressing. Say what you need to say. Hey, we don't have that much time left. And yes, Corey dying definitely, I think, affected that with the writers as well. Mm-hmm. Saying, like, you have to, you know... Live well, because we get stuff. reactions for everyone else. We get Tina go steampunk. Sam's got a secret twin, and 
and um, Marley's trying to write her songs, and Unique is taking birth control to speed up her transition. And there's no, we don't, the only thing we get from Blaine in that episode is Mr. Shu yells at him and makes him get his big sad eyes. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't get a reaction from Blaine, and like the proposal is Blaine's reaction. Well, yeah. and I also think, like, when you think about. I, this is why the stretching of the um, season and of the time makes really it screws everything up because everything between I do and new directions in season five happens between February 14th and graduation day in early June. And that's real freaking short. And even the proposal, and this is based on my timeline, which I know people can agree with. I have written it all out in case it's on my blog in case you want to see it. Um, the proposal for you blog it again. I need it for fan yeah. purposes. Um, yes, it's actually, well, I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> uh, it is mid March. It's kind of like spring break ish era when the season five stuff starts. Um, that so, makes sense. That would explain why Kurt stays as long as he does. Yes. It, that's he's on spring break. Yep, it makes yeah. total sense to me. Uh, which because because um, Rachel's taking her her midterms right before that happens, so um, they take midterms, spring break. That's why he's there. So all of this takes place between I do and love, love, love. That everything is in a month. So think about how many things actually happen in a month. So you know all the stuff with Kurt happens at the wedding, and then within the month, you know he's proposing to Kurt. That it's just so it does make a lot of sense to me that you know it just because we don't see any of it the problem is that we don't see anything in sweet dreams or lights out we don't see anything into wonderful but if you connect guilty pleasures onto wonderful or and, and you know have the stuff with ha- shooting star happen it makes a lot more sense to me it's so kind of it's over literally been like maybe two weeks if that between the wedding and the shooting yeah holy shit I know Wow. So, it because the time is so stretched out, it doesn't feel the same way. But be, when you really sit down and you look at this and you're like, oh, this has to happen in this, like, month period, this five-week-ish period, it, it's like, oh, damn, this is all really squished together. And this is all, you know, bam, 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 bam. So. I hadn't even, I mean, I, look, I remember looking at your timeline. But I, when you really break it down that way and say, okay. From February 14th to love, love, love is about a month. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, absolutely. That desperation to propose absolutely is a reaction. Like, But yeah. you, you realize what that means, though. If, what does that mean? If they got engaged in mid-March, it means they got might have gotten in, engaged on the anniversary of original song, which yep. probably occurred in mid-March. Yep. And oh, my God. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which would be ultimately romantic, and I would not put it past Blaine to have done that, and I wish now that they had put that into the episode. Somebody wants to pick that for me? (laughs) Invisibleraven.tumblr.com. That'd be your fanfic. So I had mentioned that explicitly, that would have been a, oh my god. Well, I mean, they did did get together at regionals, and uh, uh, yeah, and um, Love, Love, Love is the next episode after the regionals for Mm-hmm. The season. Not only that, and even better, they get married in November, and they met yep. in November. So they exactly they may, they may have actually gotten married around the anniversary of when they met. They did. Is, I mean, like based on Sue's calendar, assumption. it is. 
Yep. So, yeah, I will reblog that timeline so everybody can see it um, because we are getting into this funky. There's just, to be honest with you, there's just too many episodes to fit really a realistic timeline between. But it is, it just, you know. So that means that Finn passes away sometime in April. Yep. Yep. My birthday is just a bad month. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. Yikes. We like you. Yikes. We still like you. I don't think you're. <laughs> do do so, you want to hear something funny? Yes. Or yes. funny. When I was getting ready to do my notes for this episode, all I could remember is that there was a behind the scenes video for this episode, but it was all about Lord Tubbington. And yes, was, that was hilarious. Yes, and it was just like this cat is terrible. Nobody likes this cat except Darren. I'm like, of Doesn't course. Doesn't Darren make a pussy joke? <laughs> I can't even remember now. I just remember anyone who liked the freaking cat. And I just found, like, always found that really hilarious that Lord Tubbington was awful. <laughs> and Darren no- and Cord make a very obviously very obvious pussy joke. Of course they and do. And you're just like, <laughs> of course they do. Just like Darren's gesturing with that fire extinguisher in the behind the scenes when they are filming. Um, what do you call it? I forgot what it was called. But um, I remember that. And one of my favorite bits in this episode before the shooting is when they're singing more than words and everyone and you see it dawn on everyone very slowly. Yeah. Oh, uh, which reminds me also. So to kind of bring this around to the very ending, um, we get to see a couple less confessionals. And one of my favorites, though, is Sam going, there, you guys, there's a cat in my locker. <laughs> that gif of that cat when he gives it to Brittany and he mentions that it's been in the locker all day and the cat's like, yeah, the, there was the, a gif where someone had subtitled it continuous growling. That was my favorite reaction gif for the entire summer. Between season four and season five, I used it for everything. Yeah, but alas, we never see Lady Tubbington or I think any of the security measures yes. in school ever again. Well, the security measures, no. I do think we see, we hear at least of Lady Tubbington again. I swear we do. I'll have to look that up. But um, and then of course we end on, you know, Artie's last confessional actually does get me a little bit because he he talks about. You know, this being family, and I love everybody in this room, and so much has happened in here. And, and that kind of, that felt like encompassing everything, like the entire history of everything that happened in that room, you know, meant something. And so. And that's why that, that's why it's kind of a bummer in 100, where Mr. Shu makes everything about the original mm-hmm. New Directions. Because even though the new New Directions haven't been in the room as long, they did have some pretty important moments happening there. And then also when I mentioned, um, when we did Sadie Hawkins, they said that I was kind of paying attention to Unique's wardrobe mm-hmm. throughout. And, and so I did want to point out that um, she does, she does for the majority of the season come to school as Wade and is only unique in performances. And then in feud, she does dress me up and she stays in presenting female and gets chased home. Mm-hmm. And everyone says that they're going to walk her home. From that point, she's kind of an, she doesn't wear the wig, but she presents more outwardly female in her wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that kind then that's ongoing. You don't, you don't see her dressed as a male um, after that. Nope. Yep. And that's awesome. something I wanted to track. So, and I know that I had mentioned it before. Earlier yeah. In the season. No, I'm glad you brought that back up. I, I, I appreciate that. 
All right, I does anybody want to mention because oh, it's sure. one of the episodes where Blaine is a Cheerio and I just appreciate him in his Cheerio-ness. <laughs> I just want to say that. That uniform just, I wish we could have seen Kurt and Blaine as Cheerios together. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> he, leave it at that. He fills that uniform out well. Like he, those, that, I think they're about maybe a total of five episodes where he's a Cheerio and like that I'm, uniform I'm telling you because let me put it like this okay when Glee started I always kind of saw Kurt as like oh he's so cute with his little cheeks and he's so adorable the Cheerios uniform one was when I was like oh okay <laughs> growing up well someone went and got all grown up on me and that's when I was like oh okay you're you're a cutie <laughs> Like, you're, you're a handsome fellow there. You're no longer, like, a baby. Like, that uniform just does stuff. I wish we could have seen Blaine, like, do an actual cheer- Cheerios routine. Because Darren is so, like, uh, acrobatic. Right? Like, that cartwheel he did and, um, what do you call it? Um, I can't think of anything. You can't, st- we can't stop the beat. Yeah. The cartwheel. Or, yeah, like, he's so um, terrorish. Uh, the lights out when he jumps like into the the laundry bin thing yeah or when he jumps from standing on the floor to on the stage yes and, and anything can happen at the end of the uh, wedding or the split in the um he sh- i mean like why they made him a cheerio and he like the most he does is in hula the um, he hula hoops <laughs> hula hoops and like he he's sitting like holding a sign when um sue's singing little girls mm-hmm. yeah like, i would have loved to have seen him <laughs> you know what's funny it's though I, think the, I never got to see him as on a right before i off topic completely off topic i do think the girls always look better out of their uniforms but that's i agree me. those ponytails didn't really do anything no. for them. Better than this episode where Brittany's going around with sweatpants under her skirt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She did that a lot in the win- in, in episodes in the winter, supposed yeah. to be cold. She mm-hmm. did that or they had on knee socks and I'm like, I know you're filming in LA because they're supposed to be in Ohio and I'm pretty sure she's uh, got frostbite. I think they did this episode to kind of hide Tether's pregnancy bump. Also. Oh, that's true too. Yeah, yeah that too. So, All right. Well, um, did anybody have anything in their notes they want to talk about real quick or I can wrap it up or I, I still want to know why Will went and gotten Brittany from the bathroom because <laughs> it was like going back in he's like thank you and I'm like no you're no because the I kids forgot are so to mention, haven't done the all clear uh, I forgot to mention in the, oh. in the hall room was, the hall was like why are you here like get out yeah <laughs> I wanted to mention the, just, the juxtaposition of Figgins catchline Oh, sure. Catchphrase? It was, and it was my favorite thing with my, I used to joke with my brother when he would ask me to do stuff, and I'd go, my hands are tied, William. That was always a thing. Mr. Shoe would be asking for something so basic. Mm -hmm. Like, the kids need to use the auditorium, and Figgins is like, well, Alcoholics Anonymous is going to give us five bucks an hour to let us use it. Sorry, my hands are tied, William. And then, and, and it was always like a comedic thing, and then when he's talking to Sue, he just very seriously, my hands are tied. Mm-hmm. And so I like that they brought back that catch line, that catchphrase 
that Figgins had in the first couple of seasons, but in a very different context. And then in season one, I think we used to see Sue bringing donuts and stuff, and then she does it again here. Mm-hmm. So, like, those parallels to kind of earlier Maybe that's stuff. why they brought Ten- Ken Tanaka back. Maybe, maybe. But I just can't, yeah, I kind of like that they took these things that were, like, very silly in the beginning and just completely flipped the context on them. I feel yeah. they tried to bring a lot of season one feelings back into season four. Yeah. Like, yeah. In general, like, they... I mean, they they did try to do so more in uh, season six, but in a more nostalgic kind of way. Mm-hmm. But like in season four, they like kind of brought some themes, and like you said, the the music, um, the mm-hmm. the um, so the score, the score, yeah, the, the score, and and also like the the thing i love about season 4 is like they do a lot of like group numbers me too which are actual group numbers yeah they're the full group full group numbers and i feel like that's something that they had in more of in season 1 and kind of like drifted away from to like again focused on the personalities that we're building in season 2 and 3 and then 4 they brought it back focusing more on the group and the fact that they're a group. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I want to thank you guys for doing this episode. I, I think this was a really great conversation and, you know, even if you're not a fan of this episode, I do think it has its merits and its worth and, and um, you know, it's worth to sit down again and to, to re-examine it. Um, so if Next week, we will be jumping on to the... We're going to do both Sweet Dreams and Lights Out and have a very long discussion about nighttime imagery. And then... um, So, yeah, we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you, guys. Finally found you, my missing puzzle piece. I'm complete. To help